Well, good morning. Good to have good to have everyone here. Uh, who's ever in the back there? This uh, this iPad is not on up here, but uh, that'll be good. Okay, if you take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. I'm going to read from verses eight through fourteen. And this morning we're going to be talking about peace on earth. Peace on earth. And uh, it, by any stretch of the imagination, if we were just to think about peace on earth and what the angels promised. Uh, 2,000 years ago at the birth of Christ, I don't think anybody here would objectively say there's peace on earth. And so what we want to do this morning is look at actually when the angel pronounced peace on earth, what was the angel actually uh, pronouncing? So if you have your Bibles or uh, your handout in the middle, if you would turn to Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading at verse 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse uh, 8. And so here we go. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Verse 12, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let me have a, a, just a, a word of prayer and then we're gonna look at what was the angel actually saying when he pronounced peace on earth. Father, I pray uh, that you would do a work in each one of our lives. I pray that you would open up our minds and I pray as we uh, start uh, the Christmas celebration and the Christmas sermons and all of the, all that goes along with Christmas here at Lakeside, I pray, Lord, that you would open our minds up today uh, to what you were actually bringing when your son was born in a stable. So I'm going to thank you for your goodness in Christ's precious name. Amen. amen. Now, if you just think about peace on earth, uh, we, we could say, you know, for thousands of years or at least 2,000 years since Christ was born, uh, there have been many false pro uh, prophecies, prophets. Uh, there's been many foolish presidents uh, that have promised peace. And by any stretch of the imagination, there hasn't been peace on earth as, as we would normally uh, think of peace. It's been anything uh, but peace. And so what was the angel actually uh, prophesying? What was the angel pronouncing with the birth of Christ? And it must be something other than what we naturally think of as peace. So I'd like us this morning, before we actually look at what was this peace that the angel was pronouncing, that he was, uh, that the angel was announcing, what is this peace not? So I just want to kind of get your mind thinking about what the angel was not saying in verse 14, as it's recorded by Dr. Luke, what was the angel not saying? And the first thing I want you to see is he was not pronouncing international peace. He, he was not saying that there's going to be peace on earth in the world. And now, certainly, uh, when the Lord comes back, there will be peace on earth. But in these last 2,000 years, if you, if you know your history at all, there's never been what we would call peace on earth. Our own history of our own country 
247 years, uh, we have officially sent out armed forces. We've sent them abroad 234 times. So almost every year of just our existence, which is very short, 247 years, almost every year we've sent our troops uh, abroad to a foreign country out, outside of the borders of the United States. And so we wouldn't say, well, that's peace. And even if you took uh, Bethlehem, and I have a, a picture of Bethlehem here, and this is kind of a, a picture of what we, would, uh, what we would think of or we would like to think of as Bethlehem even today. And this is a literal uh, picture of Bethlehem. But in the actual town of Bethlehem, about 25,000 people today, there has hardly ever actually been peace in that town. So the, so the angel comes and pronounces peace on earth and, and he, he comes to Bethlehem and he pronounces it. Since the day of Christ, uh, Bethlehem has always been ruled by somebody. Somebody has overtaken them. So the Romans during the time of Christ and then by force the Muslims overtook Bethlehem. And then in the name of Christ, the Crusaders had a bloodless campaign and took over Bethlehem. And then Egypt and then the Turks. And then by the UN, the British. And today the Palestinian Authority uh, uh, controls Bethlehem. And so, uh, so we shouldn't think of even Bethlehem this Christmas. And I'm not trying to spoil your Christmas. Maybe you're going to get a Christmas card and this is going to be the picture. But we want to talk about what did the angel, what did he actually say? Now, remember the prophecy or what the scriptures say happened in Bethlehem when, uh, when the Christ child was actually born. So in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16, it'll be up here in the screen. Here's what actually happened. In, so when the angel pronounced peace on earth, well, was there peace on earth? Well, here's what actually happened. Then Herod who wanted to find the Christ child, this one that was going to be born king of the Jews and eliminate him. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, they didn't come back and tell him where the Christ child was, killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old and younger, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So rather than peace on earth and the people of Bethlehem and the, who, who, would have, who would have heard this prophecy and it was recorded, rather than peace, it was actually one of the worst times in the history of Bethlehem. Uh, all those two years old and younger. I have a, a picture, the next picture of, uh, of Bethlehem, and I, I just want to read this. So, so normally... Um, Bethlehem is, is a time, even though it's controlled by the Palestinian people, they make 99% of their income, the families and the people do, by welcoming Christians who make a pilgrimage to Bethlehem. Well, not so this year. It's actually, it's actually closed up. And this is an actual scene where a Christmas tree would be in the Church of the Living Nativity over in Bethlehem. Uh, no such tree. a matter of fact, you see a pile of debris there, and you see a little baby doll there. Well, let me just read. This is, this is from this week. So a church that's in occupied West Bank in, in Bethlehem prepared a decoration for this Christmas using debris from the bombing of the rubble of Gaza. And the pastor of this church said, when, when all of this war is going on, it would be inappropriate to have a Christmas tree uh, present where there's been a Christmas tree for over a thousand years. 
And so what they did is they took the rubble of the buildings that had been bombed and they took some of the living nativity that would normally be there and they put it amongst the rubble. And where the Christ child would be in a manger on any other given Sunday, they have a, a little uh, a fake doll there, not to represent the Christ child, but all the children, uh, the innocent children who have been killed. So as we say peace on earth, you could go to Bethlehem if you could fly out and actually get into Bethlehem today, and this is what you're going to see. This isn't peace on earth. So what was the angel announcing and pronouncing, well, it wasn't international peace. Now, if we're Bible-believing, Bible-reading individuals, I had somebody come up to me at the first service, right before the service, and said, Patch, I gotta, I gotta show you this. This is, this is one of the most cool accomplishments I've ever basically had in my life. And they showed me that they actually read through the whole entire Bible this last year and the fulfillment of just doing that. Well, we're Bible-believing, Bible-reading individuals. Well, here's what uh, actually Jesus said in Matthew 24 about international peace. And we want to think the world's getting to be a better and better place when actually in reality that is not the case this Christmas. And so here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars as time goes on right before the Lord comes back. See that you're not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, the news today, Kingdom against kingdom, the news today. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. In other words, when Christ is going to return. And so if we're reading our Bible, we have to say that when the angel announced peace on earth, what kind of peace was he talking about? It's obviously not peace from war and from strife and amongst people. So it's not international peace. And number two, I just want you to think just for a second, it's not interpersonal peace. It's not peace in relationships from person to person or from group to group or from nation to nation. It's not interpersonal peace. Now, eventually, when the Lord comes back, there will be peace in relationships. There'll be no more strife. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more brokenness. But that's not what the angel was announcing with the, with the Christ child. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. So I just want you to just think about just our group of people, maybe your own life right here. Well, is your, is your life objective absolute, eternal peace. You have no strife going on in your life. And very few people, if they were honest, would be able to raise their hand. I mean, there is division and strife interpersonal in relationships all over the place. I mean, you don't have to, you, you, you very rarely get past the front page of the paper or, or any way that you get your news today. And you realize domestic violence is at an all-time high. Divorce is at an all-time high. Broken families that are at an all-time high. Church splits are at an all-time high. We were, we were talking amongst pastors the other day, and, and we were talking about a church, and we weren't sure of the name of the church. It was either Fourth Avenue Baptist Church or it was Fourth Baptist Church, which means there was a first, a second, a third, and now there's a fourth. And uh, praise the Lord, there's not a first and second Lakeside Fellowship, amen? Like, we, we, have, we don't have any plans uh, to, to divide. And if you're one of the rascals that want to divide us, then, uh, then, you know, peace on earth to you and see you later. 
Philosopher Albert Canis was right when he called our era the era of overt anxiety. Now, just think about your personal relationships. If you're married, husband and wife, children, uh, in-laws, maybe you're, gonna, maybe you're not really looking forward to getting together with the in-laws this Christmas or extended relationships. Is there anybody could here that could say, in every relationship that I have, it's objective, complete peace, like there's no strife. And the reality is, is that most of our relationships have a partial peace, hopefully, but not a complete peace. So clearly the Lord was not uh, talking about interpersonal peace. Now listen to Matthew, what Jesus says in Matthew 10 and verse 34. So, so say you're one that you've given your life to Christ and you've believed and you're received, and we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. Well, certainly then peace would come into your other relationships and your other relationships would get much better. And I would say eventually God's gonna do a work, but notice what Jesus says about the person who trusts Christ and now how their relationships are going to be uh, different. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Say what? The angel just announced peace. Well, we must be talking about a different kind of peace here. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves, listen to what Jesus said, son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so Jesus is saying it's very possible and most likely probable that if you personally receive Christ as Lord and Savior and this becomes the consuming thing in your life, that what's going to happen is your parents aren't going to get you. Your, your, your own family might not get you. Maybe if you're a child, your mom and dad aren't going to get you. Or maybe if you're a parent, your kids aren't going to get you. That actually what happens at the beginning of your relationship with Christ is your own family feels uncomfortable around you. I can remember my own, my, my own family, and I, and I love all of them. A couple of months after trusting Christ, I was a radically changed person. I saw everything different. I, I want to tell everybody about the good news of Christ. And, and I had an uncle pull me aside and actually take me to a back room on a Thanksgiving day and said, hey, we're, you know, your family's kind of worried that you got involved in a cult. And, you know, there's not understanding what's going on. And, uh, and so, so it's not a, an immediate peace like you trust Christ and all of a sudden your relationship. Matter of fact, you're going to have some relationships that are going to go the opposite direction of peace. So what is real peace on earth? And so what we want to say is, well, well, what did the angel announce and pronounce for us this morning? It's not international peace. It's not interpersonal, although one day that will be the case. It's going to be what I'm going to call interstellar peace. And maybe you've never had that term used at Christmas time uh, for this peace that the angels announce. But let me give you a couple of scriptures to back up this word interstellar. So amongst the stars or came down from the stars. It's this peace that comes from heaven above down to earth here below. Matthew 2, write this reference, verses 1 and 2 says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star 
when it arose and have come to worship him. Now, here's another verse to write in the margin if you're taking notes, Revelation 22 and verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the things to the churches, for the churches. Jesus said, I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright and morning star. So we're talking about interstellar. That's a term, uh, that's a term for you to think about. It's like, this is a piece that comes from heaven down to earth, must be received by us, and it's not created by us. It can only be received by us. Uh, there was a hymn or a song uh, if, you, if you were a church person back 20 years ago in 2003, and I think we've sung it here before. I don't know if we've sung it recently, but it's got a catchy tune, and it captures the idea of the real piece as an interstellar piece or comes from heavens above. Here, here's the song. See if you know any of the lyrics. When heaven came down and glory, what? Filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away. My night was turned to day when heaven came down and glory filled my soul. So we're talking about a peace that comes from heaven, that comes down to earth to individuals and must be believed and received. So I want to take Luke chapter 2 and in a couple moments talk about the reality of what's going on here so that we can see that there is actually an objective peace that God is offering that you can have that's different than what's going on in the nations, that's even different that's going on in relationships. This is in your relationship to God. So I got a couple of things that I want to point out that, that are real according to the Christmas story. Number one, this, uh, this real peace came down on a real day. It's, these are going to be very simple, but I want you to think about this with me so we can see the objective idea. So this peace came down on a real day. If you look at verse 11, it says, unto you this day. So we're talking about a real day in real history. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says that Caesar Augustus was, was the emperor, and verse 2 says Quirinius was the governor. There's all kind of archaeological evidence to say that what the Bible says, what Dr. Luke recorded in Luke chapter 2, is absolutely historical. So this real peace came down from heaven, came down to earth on a real day. And the day was planned for all of eternity. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Paul couldn't get over this. But when the fullness of time had come, so on a specific day planned by God, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those. So, so not to bring international peace, not even primarily interpersonal peace amongst other people, but peace between you and God to redeem those. We just talked about that in the book of Ruth, to purchase uh, your freedom, to purchase a relationship with you who are under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We receive it. We don't, we, we don't create the peace. It came down on a real day. Number two, it came down to a real place. It says in verse 11 that this real peace, uh, the birth of Christ, uh, happened in a real place. In verse 11, it's called the city of David. Now, if you've gone through the book of Ruth with us, that should connect the very last word in chapter 4 of the book of Ruth is the word David. 
And so it carries the idea of the genealogy leads to David. If you look at verse 4 of Luke chapter 2, it connects the city of David, which it says is Bethlehem. So heaven came down to a specific uh, place on a specific day, not a galaxy far away, but to a small city. Uh, maybe a city of 500 to 1,000, historians say. 25,000 today. Let's, uh, let me, I just hear the siren out there, so if you don't mind, I'm just going to have a word of prayer here. Father, I uh, just heard this uh, siren outside, and I, I don't have any idea uh, what it is. I trust it's not somebody just getting pulled over for speeding, but Lord, if there's a need there, I pray that you would bless in a very special way. And I'll thank you for your goodness, and we pray uh, peace in their lives, whatever's going on there, in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. So we're talking about the city of David. We're talking about Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem should be a very interesting place to us. So we know from Ruth and from many other accounts that this was the birthplace of King David himself. Now, uh, I looked long and hard for a picture, a specific picture of a sign from my hometown, Breed, Iowa, which was 499 people in 1975, and it's 501 people in 2023. So they've had exponential growth. And... Uh, uh, but I've shared this story, but right when I got out of eighth grade, there weren't very many guys. Uh, we, didn't ha we weren't big enough for football, so we had fall baseball. Fall baseball started uh, like at the end of July after the summer state tournament was over. I made the varsity team, and, uh, and so in the next couple of months, we won, uh, we won the state, uh, state final. So, I, so I've got a state uh, champion medal. Now, the only thing I did, I was a catcher. I was the backup catcher. One time, the catcher couldn't get his gear on quick enough, so between innings, I got to go out there and catch. So that's my claim to fame. But in our town, if I were to take you to our town, uh, I might just happen to drive by the baseball stadium. I might just happen to point out uh, state champions 1975. I might just happen to tell you I was a catcher on the team. I might just not happen to tell you I didn't actually play in the game. And that the town still thinks this is a, like a huge, huge thing. As a matter of fact, we'll celebrate 50 years coming up. I'm expecting to get, you know, called up on a stage. Probably not. <laughs> That's our little town. But Bethlehem was the birthplace of King David. It's just a little town. But all of the people would have remembered a thousand years earlier, King David was born here. And so if anybody was going to anticipate the prophecy that in this little town of Bethlehem was going to come one who would rule all of Israel, it would have been these people in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, 700 years before the birth of the Messiah, here's the prophecy about Bethlehem. And I'm sure everybody in Bethlehem would have had this memorized. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. You don't even get a mention. From you shall come for, uh, forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, who coming forth is from old. In other words, God has been telling us about it from, from ancient of days. And so for 400 years, there's been silence. About 15 generations 
parents and grandparents and great-grandparents are passing down this prophecy. 15 generations of silence. And then the angel appears. Uh, so, so we have a real day in a real place. And then I just want to point out, just kind of real briefly, they were real angels. They were real messengers from God himself. If you, if you look at Luke chapter 2, in verse 9, the angels mentioned. In verse 10, the angels mentioned. In verse 13, notice the one angel is joined by a multitude of angels. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so you have the angels are the ones that are announcing the birth of Christ. They're praising and rejoicing. Now here's what scripture says. They don't get it. They know what's going on. They know Jesus before he is born in a manger, and they're looking on and they're announcing it, but the gospels say the angels still are amazed and they're still looking into it. They, they don't get it. Now, they're amazed that the Lord who's high and lifted up, who's holy, has come down to be born in a manger, and they get to announce it. But they, they don't understand. They're, they're truly amazed that this could even be. How could, how could this sinless one come down to a group of sinners? And why would you come to just little Bethlehem when six miles away is the temple in all of its glory? Why would you come to this little group of people? Why would, why would Father, why would you send us, the angels, to the shepherds of all people? They don't even get into the temple. They get to raise the sheep for the sacrifice, but they're not allowed in because they're considered dirty. dirty. Their witness isn't worth anything. The, the angels were, were amazed, but they're the ones that get to announce. And so uh, this is for another day. And six or seven years ago, we talked about, well, what are the purposes of angels? Well, there's actually three purposes. And I, I'm just going to mention them to you. And, and, and maybe next year at Christmas, we'll talk about it. So they had three purposes. Number one, magnify God's person. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And over and over again, they're magnifying. Uh, second purpose, minister to God's people. Hebrews 1, the author of Hebrews says, are they not all ministering uh, spirits to the saints? So, so I, assume, I assume in our attendance today are the ministering angels. That should uh, sober us up just a little bit. And what we're seeing today, they're, they're, they've always been the messengers of God's plan. They don't get it. They're amazed by it. But they get to be the mess, they get to be the mouthpiece. So the angels are doing the talking. Now, babies don't talk, amen? They coo and they cry and, you know, they, they make sounds, which is all cool, isn't it? I mean, uh, I, I love uh, little children and God's really blessed. But they don't talk. When babies do start talking, it can be kind of dangerous. Say, man, you never know what's going to come out of their mouth. We love having our grandkids over because they tell us stuff that my own kids would never tell me. So I, I find out what's going on in the house. I, I just, you know, hand them a piece of candy, tell me what's going on in the house. So, no, I don't do that. When babies talk, it can be dangerous. A family invented, invited the preacher to lunch with them after church on a Sunday morning service. The preacher finished preaching and greeting the people, and he headed to the home. When he arrived, the husband and wife were in the kitchen. The husband was being a good husband and helping the wife finish the meal up. And so the preacher was out in the room with the five-year-old uh, all by themselves. And the preacher said to the five-year-old, the food smells good. 
The five-year-old said that uh, what we're having goat for lunch today. The preacher was a bit stunned and asked the boy to repeat. The little fellow clearly repeated, no, he said, it's goat. And so, uh, well, how do you know we're having goat? The boy, without hesitation, said, well, because I heard mom and dad say this morning, we're having the old goat for lunch today. (laughs) Hopefully that isn't any of you. So don't say that to your kids, because I will ask them. So the real messengers of this peace that passes understanding are the angels. They don't get it. They're announcing it. They're marveling in it. They're still trying to understand it 2,000 years later. The angels announce in verse 11, a real Savior and Lord. There's so many counterfeit saviors during that day, hundreds who had their name in history, who, who tried to pretend to be the Savior. Every Jewish family wanted their son to be the Messiah was going to come through one of them. They, they all longed for it to be their own son. Caesar Augustus himself, uh, on his birthday, had this read in every community amongst the 70 million people that he was over. Here's what he had read on his birthday. Today is the day of divine providence, where, where, where divine providence saw fit to offer Caesar as savior of the world, who would end all war and bring peace. He would have that read everywhere. He's the savior. Now, his idea of peace was to either eliminate you or silence you. And he did that for a couple hundred years, and then it came to an end. So the angel is announcing a real Savior and a real Lord, Matthew 1 and verse 21, if I have it put up on the screen here, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So we're getting an idea right here that the peace that the angel was talking about wasn't primarily international peace, although one day the Lord's coming back and there will be peace. It's not primarily interpersonal amongst relationships, although one day all of those relationships will be made whole. He's offering a peace because we're sinners and we're separated from a holy God. The word Jesus, the name Jesus, means Jehovah saves. And so with the balance of my time, let me go through a couple of verses and share with you what is the peace that the angels were announcing. What is real peace? And number five, this is a peace with God. It's, a real, it's talking about a relationship with God, separate from what's going on amongst nations, separate, separate from what's going on in your family. This is between you and God. And, and here's where we need to step back and say, okay, well, what is this in this Christmas season? Got the trees decorated, we had the living nativity, and we had lighting of the square. What is the peace? And so let me just share a couple of verses and string them together to show how every one of us in here needs this peace that the angels have, have announced. So Isaiah 48 in verse 22. Isaiah wrote, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Now the word wicked in the Old Testament is a word for anyone who was going against the desired way that God wanted them to live. And in the Old Testament, there would be 614 or more laws or commandments, and, and to radically rebel against God, you were called wicked. You were doing the opposite of what God wanted. So outside of a relationship with God or being made right with God, there is going to be no peace. Isaiah wrote just a, a couple of chapters later in Isaiah 59, 
Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that he cannot save. He wants to, he wants to reach down and be Savior. His ear is not dull, that he can't hear you. But your iniquities... It's your iniquities and my iniquities that have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have caused him to hide his face from you so that he will not hear you. You see, the peace that we need is to have this relationship with God, which is broken because of our sin. God doesn't desire for that to be the case, and he certainly doesn't want that to be the eternal case. His his hand isn't shortened. No matter how far you've gone from God, he can reach you. No matter how distant you've gotten, how small your voice is, he will hear you. But the greatest need that anyone in this room has is to have our sins taken away. It's the iniquity that we have. So, So scripture is saying right here, if you don't know God, your problem is not ignorance. So all you need is information. God's not saying that's your biggest problem. Uh, your biggest problem isn't indifference, so we just need to get somebody to uh, speak with more passion and put the words together just right and motivate you because you're just kind of indifferent and I, I just really need somebody to give me the spark. That's not your problem. Your problem is hostility. What you need is reconciliation and it can't come from you. It's gotta come from heaven above. A couple of scriptures, let me put them together for you. And how, Well, how does this happen? Romans 8. Uh, starting at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, so to live, live of the world and not for God, but to set the mind on the spirit is life. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You, you have, you, you're not going to be able to solve the problem between you and God. God's got to solve the problem or you're lost for eternity because of your sin and my sin. Uh, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse eight, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, well, how then do we please God? Well, let me take you to Luke chapter two and verse 14, and maybe you missed this phrase. If you have the King James version, this phrase is not even gonna be in the Bible. It's a misinterpretation. It's a wrong interpretation. These words are literally in the original language. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Well, time out, Dave. You just read me some verses that say I'm not pleasing on my own to God, like I'm hostile to God. How can the angel announce that I'm going to have this peace if I please God? Well, do I have to crawl up the top of a mountain? Do I have to get baptized as an infant? Do I have to be confirmed? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to go to the Awana program or Kids for Truth? Do I have to have, you know, 100 uh, perfect attendance at church? How do, I, how, do I, how do I please God? And we did a series in Hebrews 11, but I want you to connect with those whom he's pleased to Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So this idea of pleasing God is not you adding up a bunch of good works and then presenting them to God and say, I hope you're pleased with this. A newsflash, he's not going to be. Your your resume, you just wad it up and throw it away. That's why we're telling everybody it's not religion, it's a relationship. You have to receive his peace that he created. By faith, you have to say, he died on the cross to take my sins, to remove the hostility uh, from him. So peace with God is directly tied 
to placing your trust and faith in God and specifically his finished work on the cross. Two, two more verses. Isaiah 53. But he, Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed because of or on behalf of our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. This is what the angel was announcing. And with his wounds we are healed, not by our good works. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us, the whole circle of us, including the pastor, to our own way. But then the Lord laid on him, Christ on the cross, the iniquity of us all. Can we say thank you, Lord? That's the peace. The peace that was bought and purchased by Christ on the cross, Romans 5 and verse 1, and then verse 10. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, placing your trust in Christ's finished work on the cross, not anything that you could personally do to make this relationship right, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, for if while we are enemies, that's where we're naturally at in our life outside of receiving Christ, if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see this peace with God as an offer of peace to you because your sins have separated you from a holy God. And so God sent his son to, to be born in a manger, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to take our sins, to be buried, to be resurrected, ascended into heaven, and now he makes an offer of peace. That's what the angel was saying. It's not peace on this earth primarily. That day will come. It's not peace in your relationships even with mom and dad. That, 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 should, that, that should grow better over time, but that's not what he's talking he's about. He's talking about peace with him, and there's a natural hostility. And here's the thing, and I'm out of time here, but here's the thing. This peace is objective, it's absolute, and it's eternal. Because if you think about the best human relationship you got here, you're like, you think about the best. And if it's over a period, there have been times where the relationship wasn't all that great, where it was partial or it was almost broken off completely. So any peace that we have in a human relationship or nation to nation is partial at best. But when Christ offers peace, it's eternal, absolute, objective peace. The moment you believe and receive, you can have peace with God. Charles Wesley wrote, wrote it right. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. See, he understood the peace on earth. And I'll just close with this. Real peace requires a real response. John 1, verses 11 through 13, says that he came to his own, his own people didn't receive him. Stiff armed and said, nope, you're just going to be another one of those false messiahs. But to all who did receive him, to invited him into their life, who believed in his name, yes, I recognize you died on the cross for me. You came from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to take my sins away. Your death on the cross is the payment for my peace, gets rid of my hostility with you. Who believe, he gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood. It's not because you're mom and dad and you got the perfect right last name, uh, nor of the will of the flesh. You didn't, you didn't one day all of a sudden get really smart, nor the will of man. You didn't determine you were gonna do this. 
but, but of God. This peace comes from heaven down to earth. And the question this morning is, have you specifically responded? Is there a specific day? Is there a specific place? Can you recall a time where you said, yes, I'm a sinner and I'm hostile to God. God is not hostile to me. He wants to be loving. He's offered peace. Have you received the peace that the angel uh, pronounced? That's what we're asking. Now, let me have a word of prayer, and then I'll give some direction as we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to go to communion. Father, thanks again for this objective, eternal, uh, absolute peace that you offer, not partial. It uh, doesn't have good days and bad days. The peace that comes from you, from your perspective, is absolute. It's objective. It's attainable by believing and receiving, and it's eternal. Uh, once you uh, become our friend, our father, our savior, you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will never, ever, ever be the reason that the peace in the relationship with you is partial or even broken. And so, Father, we thank you that in, in this world of so much uh, insecurity, and so many things that we, we can't even be sure about. Your peace is objectively available to everyone here this morning. And Father, I'll just thank you for that in Christ's precious name. Amen.